You know, recently there was a men's conference here at Moraine, no regrets, and the first speaker of the morning's name was Chris Brown. And Chris gave a powerful message that really spoke to a lot of us men. And he spoke about Samson. And he said the scariest verse in the story of Samson is the one where he woke up, found out that his hair had been cut, and he had no idea that the Spirit of God had left him. And then Chris asked this, if the Spirit of God was to leave you, how long would it be before you would recognize that he's no longer with you? Now we know as believers, we're indwelt, he's never gonna leave us, but we learned a few weeks ago about quenching. <laughs> how long would you be before you recognize that his power and presence has been quenched in our life? And a guy who used to go here many years ago, Bob Block, man was a little bit older than me, I was new into the ministry and Bob uh, took me out to lunch. And he asked me a similar question, hey Pat, if the Holy Spirit was removed from your ministry, would anything be different? I was like, whoa. I gotta be honest with you, at that time I'm not sure there would have been. Young guy, working hard, doing what you're supposed to do, uh, spending a lot of hours, following what they say you're supposed to do, reading the latest stuff, doing, but you know what? You can do all that without the Spirit. <laughs> and there can be no evidence of his working in your life. And that's a fair question we have to ask ourselves. If, let's ask it this way. If the Spirit of God was quenched in your life, would you even know it? Would you recognize that he's no longer blessing you and you're no longer experiencing his presence and the power the way that you used to? And when we came back in the men's breakfast the following week, we were, we were talking about that question. And one of the things we said was this. We need to know what the spirit looks like when he's there <laughs> and when he's working and when he is in control, if we know what it's gonna be like if he's gone. So that's the question I'm gonna try to answer this morning. What does it look like when the spirit of God is in control of our hearts? And obviously my goal is not just to teach the Bible this morning. My goal is for us to examine our own hearts. <laughs> Lord, is the Spirit of God in control of my life? That's the question we're gonna look at. So turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter five, that's where we're gonna be this morning. As you're turning, uh, just know this is the first of two messages. So if you're here today, you gotta be here next week to hear the ending of it. Um, this will introduce us to the topic of being filled with the Spirit. Next week, I'm gonna talk about walking by the Spirit. And in Ephesians 5, we start in verse 18. I think most of you are there. It says this. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation but be filled with the Spirit. There's a contrast going on in this verse. And the contrast is between being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit. And we know when somebody who's drunk with wine, that they're controlled by that wine, 
they're under the influence of that wine. And so now alcohol is controlling and filling and influencing them. So when he says, don't be drunk with wine, he's given us an illustration, but be filled with the Spirit. That means that we are supposed to be people who are under the control of being influenced by, being filled by the Holy Spirit. And you guys who've been drunk before or know somebody that has, everything changes when you're drunk. Your attitudes change. Your actions change. Your thinking changes. Your talk changes. Even the way you walk, you know, can't you know? That's what they can. You walk a straight line, <laughs> you know, and they're wavering all over the place. Everything changes when you're under the influence of alcohol. Well, the point of this passage is this: everything changes when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Your attitudes change. Your actions change, your thinking changes, your talk changes, and guess what? You even walk a straight line with Jesus when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And that's the point of this whole passage. Matter of fact, we learned last week, this is the second part of God's will for our life. This is what God desires of us. And this is the perfect life to live in this world, in these days, is a life that I'm under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. And to not do so is only to my hurt and to the hurt of the people around us. Wouldn't it be cool, you know, we have policemen out there who give tickets to people who've been driving under the influence. What if we had some police at Moraine who gave out tickets to people who were displaying they're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That'd be a great ticket to get, wouldn't it? Be accused of that. Your life is so different. It looks so much like Jesus. I can't help but give you a ticket to encourage you that you're living under the influence. That's what we want to see in our lives. So what does it look like to be under the influence of the Spirit? Well, first of all, this command, by the way, of being filled is what we call a present tense command, which means this is to be the habit of our life. It's not something you do just because I'm going to give a message at club or at a woman's study or because I'm going to be singing a song or witnessing to somebody. This is something that's supposed to be true of us every moment of the day, every day of our life with Jesus. So to be filled with the Spirit is not an especial anointing for a specific task. That's, that's what the anointing is. But being filled is a moment-by-moment moment experience of being under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God to such a degree that everything in my life changes. So what does that look like? We see it in the next three verses. What's the results of being filled with the Spirit? Uh, let me, those of you who have studied with us about the Great Commission, you know there's one command, make disciples. There's three participles that tell you how you do that. Uh, you know, we're, we're to make disciples going, baptizing, teaching. Well, this has got the exact same structure. 
be filled. Then he gives us four participles that show us how we're filled and what it looks like. He talks about speaking to one another. Then he talks about singing. Then he talks about giving thanks. And then finally he talks about being subject, being submissive. So those are the four things we're going to shape this message around as we talk about that. Because we're going to say, what's it look like to be filled with the Spirit? And guess what? When we're filled with the Spirit, there's a certain way we're going to be uh, relating to one another in worship. There's going to be a singing in our heart to the Lord. There's going to be a gratefulness in our life. And there's going to be a submission. So I think you know where this is going. If those are not the things in your life, I don't think you're filled with the Spirit of God. And that's based on the Word of God. So let's take a little closer look at this. Let me read this. And as I read it, um, not only listen, but look at your own heart and say, how am I doing here? So we start back in verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. By the way, that means reckless, mindless, wasteful living. That's what that word means. Don't get drunk with the wine. You're just wasting your life away. But be filled with the Spirit. And here's what it looks like. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's the first one. Second one, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. There's the second one. Third, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And finally, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. This doesn't say be subject to God. Of course, we're supposed to be subject to God. But the test of being filled with the Spirit, how well do you subject to one another? <laughs> Let me describe each one of these briefly. Let's go back to speaking. Verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Actually, this speaks to what we just did, our corporate worship. The speaking means that in our worship, we're really in a way ministering to one another as we're singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And there's, there's a sense that there is not only a singing to the Lord, but there's an instruction and encouragement that we sing to one another as we sing together corporately. And so simply, this is the only question I have for you on this. Are you engaging in worship? Or is that kind of like, are you one of the people who says, I'm gonna kind of come in late for worship because I'm really here for the word? Um, if that's the case, I'm glad you love the word. I'm not convinced you're filled with the spirit though. Because people that are filled with the spirit love to get together with other believers in Jesus and lift up his name and worship him. Then he says this, here's the second one. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. This happens all week long. Now, it certainly happens as we worship together, but this is a heart that is singing to the Lord all week long. So here's the question you've got to ask yourself. Sunday morning, great time of practicing, but looking at our heart through the week. Are you just singing songs? Is this the song time in the service? Or are you singing to the Lord? That's what this says. 
singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord. Am I taking these words? Am I meditating? I want to, or am I just singing songs because it's a song time? Or am I taking those words and I'm, I'm reflecting on them in my heart and they're meaningful to me and I reflect back to Jesus and the Father and the Spirit, the greatness of who they are and honoring them and thanking them and praising them and worshiping them. So what are you doing? Are you singing songs or are you singing to the Lord? Then he says this, Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Are you singing from the core of your being? Or are you more concerned about hitting the right notes? It might be a more of a challenge for people that lead up here. Us in the crowd, people don't hear us too well except for those close by us. But the temptation is make sure I get all the notes right. As I was thinking about this this morning, I remember a story when I was uh, in, at Moody Bible Institute. And at that time, I was standing in line in the, I think they called it the Cove at that time, where you can get, had to drive down to beat the rush hour, we'd have breakfast. I was in line and there were a couple of professors from the music department that were standing behind me. And one of the workers back there was singing. And I'll never forget listening to these two mock this person's voice who were the, the music department at Moody as the leaders. But the thing that struck me was this. The woman standing behind there that was watching this said to these two professors, and you two are the ones that are here to teach us how to worship the Lord. She confirmed them. You know why I remember that person? I didn't know who she was at that time. I met her later. Her name was Jan Katinsky. Some of you know her. Uh, one of our missionaries. And I was so impressed with Jan that I didn't know who she was, but I was like, wow. You know, she put me to shame because I should have said something. These guys were behind me. But to listen to them mock somebody because their voice wasn't hitting the notes right and they're supposed to be the worship leaders. Guys, things are way out of whack if that's where our heart is. It's about singing with our heart to the Lord. I don't care how good or bad your voice is. It's from the depth of my being saying, Jesus, you're awesome. And whether it comes out with a pretty voice, whether it comes out with a voice that's off note or whatever, it really doesn't matter. Are you singing from your heart to Jesus and to the Father and to the Spirit to tell him how awesome they are? And here's another thing to watch. How often during the week is your heart just singing? <laughs> You're not trying. It's not worship time. It's not, you know, actually breakfast. That worker behind the counter was singing to the Lord on a Wednesday morning or something. You know, do you ever find your heart just singing to the Lord? You just have to sing because your heart is so full of the Spirit. Your heart is just singing out to Jesus during the week. See, those are the things that are evidence that I'm controlled and filled by the Spirit of God. So the first thing is, is our corporate worship together, are we engaging in it? Second of all, my heart during the week, am I singing to the Lord? Then the third one is this. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus to God, even the Father. So here's a question. Are you a grateful person? 
Or are you a critical person that's constantly complaining? The way you answer that is really going to be the answer to whether or not you're walking controlled by the Spirit. What characterizes your life? A moaning and groaning about life is never good, never fair, and blaming other people for your unhappiness? Rather than going before God and being grateful for the fact, God, thank you, you, even, you let me, I'm alive today. We learned early on this year, James, we say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this and that. Are you grateful for the fact you have breath today? Are you grateful that the sun is shining in Chicago and it's going to hit the mid-60s today? I mean, those are the little things. Are you grateful for the salvation you have in Jesus? Are you grateful that love has a name? Victory has a name? The fruit of the Spirit has a name. The name is Jesus. Are you grateful that the great glory of God in the face of Jesus dwells inside of this clay pot? Amen. Guys, we have very few good reasons to complain or to blame somebody else for our unhappiness. The problem is in here. The problem is the Spirit's not controlling you. And when he is, I'm grateful to God for the small things in life and I'm grateful to him for the big things. I'm even grateful for him, not just for the good things, but for the hard things he brings in my life to chip away the junk in my flesh to produce more of Jesus in me. Because the less of me and the more of Jesus, the greater life is for me and for those around me. Most of us only find gratitude for the big, good things. We need to learn how to be grateful for the small things and the things that aren't so good, but in the hands of God, end up being a good thing. And then how about this one? Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. You know, this is, this is big. I hear a lot of people, I only listen to God. Well, if you do, then I don't think you're filled with the Spirit. Because you know what? This says we listen to one another. And a person that is subject joyfully places themselves under the authority and the decisions of someone who's in authority above them, whether it be a church authority, a government authority, or a work authority, or a family authority, any way you want to place it, they joyfully place themselves under that authority. Now I get there's things that we disagree with and I get that sometimes there's things that when they go against God's word, not when they go against what I want or think, but when they go against God's word, we have to do something a little bit different. But I'm talking about the 99% of the times, guys, when we're living in relationships with people who have authority over us or with people who are friends of ours that know us well, because this isn't just subjecting to the authorities, this is subjecting to one another. So do I listen to the input of people who know me that come by me and say, Pat, I got a concern. I see this in your life. This is something you need to watch for. Is that, you know, the way I respond to that shows me how well the Spirit is controlling. If I put up my hand and say, I don't want to hear from you, I don't listen to it, I refuse it, 
I reject it. It's not the Spirit of God. If you're a defensive person when other people come and always defending rather than just saying, let me hear what you got to say. Let me consider it before the Lord. God may have something for me. Brothers and sisters, we just have to be honest with ourselves because you're going to see in a minute, being filled with the Spirit starts with being honest because if I'm not, I need to be honest with myself about it. Say, God, I'm missing something I need from you. And so are we submitting to one another? It's interesting that um, I had two different men come to me. This was many years ago. Don't even try to figure out who. It's nobody in this room. <laughs> but there was somebody who was coming to our church that both of these men who did not know each other um, came to me and asked me a question about this person. They said, how good is this person at listening to you and to others? And my answer to the person was, they're not very good. This is what amazed me, what they both said. One of them actually was the conference leader, Art Freeberg. Um, some of you have been alive a long time and connected with the conference would know that name. He was the leader in the conference. He knew this person in our church and he asked Pat how, how they doing. He said the same thing that this other guy said. They didn't even know each other. They said the exact same words. If a person won't listen to others, they won't listen to God. That's big. That is big. Two wise spiritual men, I didn't, didn't even know each other, asked about the same person, said the same thing. You can't get the sense God's trying to tell you something here. If they will not listen to you, they will not listen to God. And the greatest sign we have in our hearts, whether I'm willing to submit to God, is my ability to submit to others around me. So these are the pictures we have for us in Ephesians 4 of what it looks like when I'm filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in worship. The Lord, from my heart, singing to the Lord and exalting him and, you know, just for, with all my heart, grateful and submissive. When those aren't there, the best thing you can do is be honest with yourself and honest with the Lord and honest with people around you. I'm not being, I'm not under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But if these things are there, that's where we need people to go out and hand tickets out and say, Glenn, I'm giving you a ticket today, brother, because you are living under the influence. But praise God, not under the influence of alcohol, but the influence of the Holy Spirit, because I can see the evidence all over your life. This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Let's take another look at a passage in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Um... Fruit, simple, what is fruit? You know, you got a apple tree and what comes out of it? A apples, the fruit, the produce is apples. The tree that produces it, you know, is an apple tree. Um, you take a blackberry bush. The bush is there, what, what comes out of there? It's the fruit, it's the produce, it's blackberries. You following me? So what's the fruit of the Spirit? 
This is the produce of what comes out in somebody's life when the Holy Spirit of God is filling their life. And as I read this, let, let me remind you, the fruit of the Spirit has a name. Because what's at the core of an apple tree, the DNA of apples and it produces apples, what's at the core of the fruit of the Spirit? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of Jesus. These fruits have a name. Love has a name. We've sung about it, doesn't it? Didn't we? Joy's got a name. Peace has got a name. Patience has got a name. Kindness has got a name. Goodness has got a name. Faithfulness has a name. Gentleness has a name. Self-control has a name. And it's the name of Jesus. And it's when the spirit of Jesus is so filling my life. It's the very love of Jesus. The very joy of Jesus. The very peace of Jesus that's coming out of me. It's not some commodity of spiritual commodity in heaven of love and joy and peace that God takes off the shelf and sends to us. It's the very person of the Spirit of God expressing his life through me with the very love of the Spirit of God expressing himself through me. And he says, against these things, there is, have you ever heard a law against loving somebody? <laughs> have you ever heard a law against being joyful? See, there's no law against these kind of things. This is what it means, and this is what it looks like, I should say. This is the fruit that comes out when the Spirit is in control of you. And I want you to look at this verse, because I'm going to read it. And I'm going to read it this way, because it kind of helps us get a feel for it. I'm going to read just the opposite of each one of those words. Because I think... We get so used to verses like this and we've memorized them. We got out of touch with what it even means. We can just spit it out. But when we look at the opposite, this is the question I got to ask. So this would be if the spirit's not in control. Question is this, rather than speaking about love, is my life characterized by selfishness? Complaining and being critical? Am I always uneasy and anxious? Am I impatient? Am I unkind? Am I evil? Am I full of doubt and wavering back and forth in God's faithfulness? Am I harsh with people around me and the way I talk? Am I undisciplined? The way we answer that, which one of those two characteristics fit more of your life? And I gotta, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, and this is true of me and it's true of you, we all probably have distorted views of ourselves. Some of us are too hard on ourselves and some of us are too easy on ourselves and some of us are totally deceived. We need to ask somebody who we trust and loves us and probably not your mate. Because, you know, some mates are afraid to tell you the truth because of the consequences of what they get. So, oh yeah, baby, you're fine. You're fine. Everything's good. <laughs> Who's a friend that'll be honest with you and say, which of these two do I look more like? What's going on here? And I want you to know another thing about this. Notice I have the letter T. I think it's still up there for you guys, isn't it? Put it back up there, Pete, for them. The letter T is kind of big because you know it's the fruit of the Spirit, it's not the fruits, plural. I was wondering, what does that mean? Well, you know, when you look at a blackberry, 
it's one fruit, but it's got a whole bunch of those little bumps, <laughs> little distinct things. You know, it's made up of a lot of different aspects make up the one fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit is like that. It, it's one fruit with nine different aspects. It's not nine different fruits that the Spirit produces in us. So what does that look like? The, the point is this. These fruits are intertwined with one another. They're not separate and distinct and all alone independent. They're all grouped together. So I, I want to try to illustrate this with patience. Now let's talk about patience right in the middle because when is patience, I'm not talking about patience on a Sunday morning when I'm in the worship time. I mean, we're all patient, we're all joy. We're all, I'm talking about when times are tough, when things are going against you, when the circumstances are bad, when you know everything is just the opposite of what you'd probably want. You're discouraged or you're full of stress. So this is the question. At that time, is your patience full of love? Is your patience full of peace at that time? Or are you full of anxiety as you're waiting? As a matter of fact, the first one, full of love, you know, so many of us with impatience, you know, what's the first sign of love? Love is patient. And when we're selfish and we're unloving, we're impatient. And our patience doesn't have love in it. He's talking about a patience that has love, a patience that's joyful, even though the things around me aren't really joyful. It's a patience that has peace rather than being anxious. When will this be over and how's it going to work out and this thing could go wrong and you know, all that kind of stuff. It's a patience that's kind to people even though life isn't going good for me. It's a patience that's full of faith. Rather than doubt and wavering and wondering, will God come through? Will he ever show up? It's a patience that's characterized by gentleness rather than getting harsh and cutting and unkind to the people around you. It's a patience where you're in control of your thoughts and your desires. See, that, and now you can take every fruit. <laughs> that was just patience. Take every fruit. That's what it looks like to be the fruit of the Spirit, they're all intertwined as into one. And that's what Jesus displays in and through us when his Spirit is in control of my life. So how are you doing so far? Let me finish by talking about four ways to be filled with the Spirit. Here's the first one. Be honest about where you're at. God already knows where you're at. Probably the people around you already know where you're at. Be honest with yourself as to where you're at. You have no idea how many times this has ministered to me because I noticed that everything I read in my life was just the opposites of the fruits. And I go back to God and say, God, you know what? I didn't just screw up that and I didn't just screw up there. I've noticed the whole last week Lord, it seems like my flesh is in control rather than your spirit. There's nothing in my heart and my life that looks like this. For some, it might be the last month. For some, it may be the last year. For some, it may be the last five years. But we're going to go no place if we're not radically honest with ourselves as to where we're at. If what you've heard today does not characterize you on the positive end, and if what you heard on the negative end is more what you look like in the way you are, 
then the best thing you can do is be honest with yourself and come into the presence of the Lord and say, God, you know what? I'm not being controlled by the Spirit and that's what you want. I need to confess that to you. And I'll tell you what, you know how many times I've gone and confessed that to the Lord, how God in his graciousness breaks that and begins to allow the Spirit to control my life again. Second one is this, ask, pray. Ask to be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, what did we say last week? This is part of God's will, right? We know that. That it's God's will uh, that we know, you know what his will is and to be filled with the Spirit is one of the commands here. Well, listen to what the first John says. This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will. Is it according to God's will that he wants you to be filled with the Spirit? Yes, it is. So if I ask him anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us what, in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Guys, ask God to fill you. It's God's will. I wanna, I'm going to take a little break here just for a second. Because this is so important, I think so many Christians miss this, that uh, prayer takes the objective truth of God that's out here, or for some that's still just here, and it moves it from here or out here down to my heart. It's so important that we pray God's word into our life. Let me give you a couple examples of that. You, you don't have to turn. I'll, I'll be quick with these. Psalm 139, how does he start? He starts like this. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path, my lying down. You know everything about me. You're into me quite well. You know, that's how he starts it, right? a declaration of God's omniscience in knowing everything. Well, how does he close that psalm? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. God already knows all that, doesn't he? But guess what prayer does? Prayer takes that truth and brings it into my experience in my life. Let me give you another example of that. That's not only true here, but we see that in, let me see where I had that at. Oh, the, uh, one of the most important covenants in the whole Bible, the Davidic covenant. When God told David he was going to build him a house and a kingdom. And so here we have David and um, God tells him this. Now listen to what David says. After this tremendous promise of God, that's a covenant that he made, which means God's gonna do it because the covenant, God says, I, you know what, if I don't do this, I'm worthy of the death penalty. He'd lay down his life to do what he covenanted. That's why the picture of the cutting of the animals and the covenant, the shedding of blood. And so here he gives this great covenant to David and he says this, now here's David after he receives this. Now, therefore, Lord God, the word that you have spoken concerning your servant in his house, confirm it forever and do as you have spoken. Why does he have to pray that? 
Here he is, he's coming. God just coming with him. He says, God, confirm it, do it. He says later on, verse 27, for you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made a revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer. I'm gonna give you one more just to encourage you. We need to learn how to pray God's truth into our life because it moves it from our head to our heart. I think the one that has always inspired me the most is the story of uh, Isaac, who married Rebecca. 40 years old, he married Rebecca. God had promised the Abrahamic covenant was gonna be continued with Isaac, and through Isaac, all these descendants were gonna be born that God had promised. So what happened with Isaac? He married Rebekah at the age 40, and Rebekah was barren. But then, at the age of 60, he prayed, and she conceived. She gave birth to twins. That promise had been sitting there for 20 years. I think it's interesting that the scripture says, then he prayed and then she conceived. And I'm wondering how many things we're missing out on in the Christian life because you have not, because you ask not. How many of us are like Isaac, that God has filled our life with promises, just waiting for us to call upon them, call upon him and ask him to make that a reality in my life. And many of us have not because we've never asked not. We need to ask God to fill us with his spirit. Then let me give you two more. First of all, be honest. Second of all, ask him. Third of all, this. Practice being where the spirit is. You know what? Bad company corrupts good morals, right? What does good company do for you? Good company rubs off on you too. I want to go where the spirit is. And where's the spirit? The spirit's in worship. The spirit is in gratitude. The spirit is in submission. Didn't we just see that? And so what I try to do is I seek to be intentional to practice the things that the spirit is working in my life to get in step with him and walk with him. So the first thing is worship. Got an opportunity every Sunday morning to move from singing songs with all your heart to worshiping the Lord and telling him how awesome he is. The more you do that, the more you're gonna be filled with the Spirit. You got a chance, uh, my friend Al Manconi, uh, many of you, we had Al here in the past. He has a thing he calls the 30-day music diet, where the only music you listen to is Christian music for 30 days. You'll be amazed when you start to fill your heart and mind with Christian music and worship, how after 30 days, if that's all I'm doing, how your heart is just singing to the Lord in worship. How about gratitude? How about starting, there's a way it happened for me, I started with a journal. And I, I started taking 10 things a day because I found myself so caught into depression and discouragement, everything was dark to me. I saw nothing good in life. And when I started to take, I mean, I started, it's like, to be honest with you, the best thing I could find, God, the sun is out today. Thank you. 
it's like there's no clouds, so it's a full Sunday. You know, that's how dark I was and how caught I was. Brothers and sisters, I started and I committed to writing a journal and practicing gratitude, and it became such a part of my life that I don't have to think about being grateful for these things anymore. The Spirit of God has entered into that, and he's transformed me. And gratitude for things has now become just a natural part of my life. How about submission? Same thing. Maybe I need to start listening to what people are saying to me rather than blowing them off and being defensive. Maybe I need to practice joyfully supporting decisions that maybe I don't agree with. And saying, Lord, I'm doing this for you and because I want the Spirit of God to fill my life. To practice submission and worship and gratitude will be places where you meet with the Spirit of God and he'll take over and he'll transform you and fill you. Then finally, the Word of God. Colossians 3.16 says this. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Now, let me take us back. You've heard this many times. This isn't about getting in the word. I spent my 20 minutes in the word today. I got in the word. No, this is, I've taken that time, whether it's 20 minutes five minutes or an hour, but I've done it in such a way that the word gets in me and stays with me. And it becomes something that when I leave my time with the Lord, it's sticking with me and I haven't already forgot what I just read this morning. This is letting God's word richly be at home within our hearts. And then the thing that's always impressed me with this are the same results of the word of God being deeply within me are the same results of being filled with the spirit of God. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father and wives be subject to your husbands and it goes on. Husbands, guess what? We're subject to one another. The way we subject to our wife is by loving them. You know, so this isn't just a wife thing. This is an every believer thing. And so we find that when the word of God has gone deep down into my heart and it's dwelling at home within my heart, it produces the same things the spirit does. And that doesn't surprise me because what did Jesus say about the word? My words are spirit and life. So brothers and sisters, if I'm drinking deeply and filling my heart with spirit and life, what do you think's gonna come out? Spirit and life, and what does that look like? It looks like a worshiping heart, it looks like a grateful heart, it looks like a submissive heart. It looks like the fruits, here I said, the fruits of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit. It looks like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness faithfulness and self-control. It looks like Jesus because the fruit and the filling of the Spirit has a name. It's Jesus. It's Jesus living and dwelling and expressing his life through me. I'm excited to come back next week. That was the introduction to next week's message. 
to talk about walking by the Spirit because how am I filled not just for a moment, but how do I walk filled moment by moment? But the question I have for you in closing is this, where do you need to start today? Do you need to be honest with where you're at? Say, God, you know what? If I'm honest with myself, I'm not filled with the Spirit. Are you a person that needs to practice these different things that we talked about? Maybe you need to start taking gratitude or submission or worship and become intentional. Now, I'm, I'm going to practice being that kind of person. Maybe you need to pray. Maybe you need to seek God and say, God, I need to pray this truth so that you move it from the information in my head and the Bible study and the facts that I can get 100% on in a test, but it's not coming out in my life the same way. Maybe you need to pray it into your life. Or maybe, like we said, you need to drink deeply from the fountain of life the Word of God. So, Father, I want to pray. Lord, I thank you for the way you have challenged my life over and over again with these truths, and thank you for the privilege to share them this morning. Father, I want to pray that your Holy Spirit will do what he does. You said that the Word is like a mirror, and I pray that the Spirit of God would hold up the mirror in front of each one of us, Lord, and give us the grace to be radically honest with where we're at. Give us the grace to turn to you. Give us the grace to be intentional to practice the things where you're working. Father, I just pray that you would take this message and speak to us because we want to be people and we want to be a church where Jesus is displayed through us. God, would you do that for your own glory's sake? It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.